is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to the Twilight Highlight Zone. My name is Ben Hansen and I'm joined by Mr. Jeff Cork. Hello, Mr. Ben Hansen. Hello. Uh, this episode, we're covering the next five episodes from the third season of the Twilight Zone. Yes. Episodes 26 through 30. Yes. We're you, coming you, up on the end. I detect a question mark. Well, I, I, I'm never good with math and it's like there's four numbers if you do the subtraction math, but really that's five episodes. It's the Twilight Zone. It's the Twilight <laughs> <of> numbers. <Zone. laughs> All right, so just a little uh, housekeeping first. Since yes. we only have seven episodes left in the oh. third season, next episode, do you want to go long? Let's go long because right. we don't want to do short, like right. two episode one. Come on, Unless it's ridiculous. Unless we really just dive deeper than we've ever dove before, but I don't know if we're capable of that. And I don't know if those episodes <laughs> weren't that. They could be, I don't want to spoil any. they could be like four o'clock. Oh, gee, we... <laughs> all right, save your opinions. All right, here we go. So starting out with a real humdinger, with episode 26 from season three called Little Girl Lost. And it opens with a mom and dad in bed hearing their, you know, toddler, six-year-old girl saying, oh, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. So they run over there, or the dad goes first to go help her. Uh, he can't find her. Then the mom comes in, and both of them cannot find this girl, but they can hear her voice. And so the father immediately calls his physicist friend, which is what you do in this situation, <laughs> And the physicist comes over and is like, oh, yeah, no, she's in another dimension. And so they move the bed, keeping track of where the bed originally was for some reason. Uh, they move the bed, and then he makes a chalk outline on the wall. And through that is where the portal to the other dimension, or as Rod Serling explains, literally a portal to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> uh, so then the rest of the episode, they're trying to get this little girl back. The dog runs into the portal to the other dimension. And so they're trying to call the dog's name to have the dog bring the girl back, but it still doesn't work. Uh, the father just says, oh, screw this. And then he jumps through the portal, rescues the little girl, is pulled back just in the nick of time because the portal to the other dimension is closing. And everyone's okay. Except they, like Rod Sterling explains that they called in a bunch of, you know, physicists and scientists and they could never find another opening to this fifth or fourth dimension again. And it was so interesting in there that it's a real disappointment that, that no one could ever visit that place again. Just, yeah, it's the kind of place where everything looks fine, except the camera's always twirling around. and just, I love harp music. Yeah, really striking music and just lots of oil smeared on a camera lens. It's really a fantastic yeah. <laughs> place. So you showed remarkable restraint when discussing this because you didn't talk about the little girl's voice, which for me... yeah. That was rough because it's clearly a woman, I'm going to guess, in her 40s, occasional smoker, yeah, trying to sound like, <laughs> like a six-year-old girl. It's like if the Clementine voice actor just blows it in the Walking Dead game. Like, yeah, this is exactly. What it sounds like. Mommy, mommy, I want my dolly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you see the girl at the end. It's like, oh, clearly it's just a young girl. But, right. Uh, and then she speaks. You hear her actual voice for a second. Yeah. And then as the mom is carrying her and the back is toward the camera... They use the fake voice again one last time. Not only is it just an older actress, yeah. I looked it up myself too. Holy cow. Rhoda Williams. I know uh, you're honestly, this is legit, a yeah. big Cinderella fan, like the old Disney yeah. movie. Yeah. Drizella's voice. Drizella. Yeah. Wait, which one is she? Just one of the characters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite one. God, I love Drizella. Yeah. This was a cool episode. You liked it? It's one of those things where when it started out, 
I like the idea of them just hearing this disembodied voice. Mm-hmm. And it's it was weird because in the beginning of the episode, it was kind of like a one-way street. They could only hear her, but then right. later on, she could hear them. Yes. Uh, but I like the idea of just not knowing where it came from. Mm-hmm. And then when it's like, oh, this is the portal right here. And it's like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. It like explains the mystery mm-hmm. a little bit too much. But then when they draw the chalk outline, and then I realize that, oh, this is another thing that the Simpsons ripped off for the episode where everybody turns 3D. Yes. For Homer and Bart do. They do the exact, exact same yep. thing where they draw the chalk outline and like the wall is the window to the other dimension. Let's talk about that chalk outline for a second also. Yeah. I think that was my favorite part because the physicist buddy, he just starts like patting around and then drawing X's. And when he's done, he's like distractedly talking to the dad. And he just, he's connecting these X's <laughs> and these arcs that are just, you can tell he's just like, Sure. <laughs> Here's he has, a hole. He has to use his degree somehow. He's like, well, if yeah. I make this slightly curved with the straight yeah. lines, it'll look much more impressive than just like a blob of eh, somewhere in this area. See, I don't want to overthink it, but yeah. I have a tendency to do that. Um, why doesn't he just draw a bunch of hash marks toward like where he thinks the hole is? Yeah. And then the chalk would stop drawing when it hits the void of this dimension. And then you would right. just end up with this. It would look like a hairy eyeball, kind of, but <laughs> but you would have like a better defined hole. Okay, so something that was really weird about this episode is like the entire run of the Twilight Zone, every intro has mm-hmm. opened with Serling explaining, this is the fifth dimension. Yes. This is the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Then in this intro, they're like, you know, Rod Serling does a classic thing of like, hey, they're going to encounter the Twilight Zone, except it's more of a physical place here than it's ever been. Is the way I don't they refer it? to it as the fourth dimension? That's the thing. But in the episode itself, they talk about it being the fourth dimension, which right. is silly. And maybe just they didn't want to rewrite it. I don't mm-hmm. know why they wouldn't do that. If the entire show they've been explaining is yeah. the fourth dimension, then they have to come up and explain it. This guy's like, oh, clearly it's the fourth dimension over here. Yeah. That's a really weird detail. Maybe they, did, they wanted to dance around the fact that they can't show the Twilight Zone. You know, even though Rod Sterling says they're going to the Twilight Zone, yeah. every episode, people are going to the Twilight Zone. It just means so many different things. They can't be like, they don't want to put that image in people's mind. Correct. And then at the end, Rod Sterling's even like, oh, fourth dimension, fifth dimension. Who can say? Look at this freaky thing. He's like, yeah, you wrote it. Maybe you could tell us. You could say. <laughs> Not you personally, but someone. That physicist friend was pretty comfortable with that entire situation. It's like oh, he's been he's... waiting for it his entire life. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, that'll happen. <laughs> It's just a time tunnel. Nothing, As he's no big. like waddling around, feeling, trying to find the edges of this thing. Mm-hmm. Even like, yeah, over the bed before they find out that it just happened to line up perfectly with the wall. Yeah. No one bothered like checking a window to make sure that like an intruder hadn't popped in or. Yeah. They call the physicist friend before they check the closet, which is right next to the <laughs> bed. You know, it's like the laziest stuff. <laughs> also, I liked a lot how it wasn't like one stationary thing. Like because this other dimension and it was so nebulous, like sometimes she would like, her voice would float around the house. Yeah. Is it coming from like the booze cabinet for a little mm-hmm. while? And I also like that moment when they said to go get the dog or like yes. when the dog is in there and they're like, Oh, just grab onto the dog. You'll be fine. And then you start to hear like the whimpering of the dog. Mm-hmm. Like something horrific is happening in that dimension and you don't hear the girl speak at all. So you just imagine the worst. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would have been great if he'd pulled out, came out, like he was holding her hand, and then they come back out, and it was just like this mailbox-sized wad of hair and blood. <laughs> I don't know. Just riffing. Put her back, put her back. <laughs> Trying to shove her up against yeah, the exactly. wall. To it's get like her a one-way there. street, you know. Things, <laughs> things are better left in the Twilight Zone or Fourth Dimension. Yeah, who whatever. Can say? Who can say? Did you like this episode? 
I thought it was all right. That little girl's voice honestly pulled it down significantly for me. Really? It was really annoying. So I ended up giving this one an eight. Really? I gave it a six. A six? Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm really excited because you seem excited about this block of episodes. And that uh-huh. was, well, I won't spoil it. Okay, f*** it. That was clearly the highlight <laughs> of the five episode block. So oh, I'm you're big- wrong in so many ways. Where are they? You're about to learn. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Man. Next up is person or persons unknown. Holy cow. We start off with one of the persons in question, face down on his bed, fully clothed. Oh, no, late for work. Wakes up. His wife is still sleeping. He's upset because his wife didn't bother waking him up or anything. And Taking his shoes off. Goes into the, the bathroom. Can't find his razor. His wife, he wakes her up. She doesn't recognize him. He's upset. She think, He thinks she's putting him on. Runs around the house. His clothes aren't in the house. No recollection of him. So he's like, well, screw this. We'll deal with this later. P.S. Thanks for making breakfast. And he screams off to work. Goes to the bank where he works. No one recognizes him, he, even though he knows everyone who's there. And there's someone sitting in his chair. And he confronts the guy. And the guy's like, uh, I don't know what's going on. The security guy is called over. And eventually, the guy, uh, there's a kind of a scuffle almost. And the guy is let out of the, the bank at gunpoint essentially ends up in a psychiatric office with a, a person who thinks he's uh, Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. This is probably an innovative time for that to happen. <laughs> and then the psychiatrist totally calm is like, ah, you just had like a break from reality or whatever and invites him into his office to test his theory. And the guy calls a bunch of people that he knows the numbers of, but they don't have any recollection of him. The guy runs to the to his, uh, he's like, ah, I've got a clue. Goes to a bar, bartender. He recognizes him, but bartender doesn't know him. And he's like, one last shot. Goes to a place where he had had a souvenir photo taken with his wife. And he looks it up, and there it is, him and his wife. And he's like, aha. And the doctors at this point have followed him because he stole a car to get there. And shows them the photo, and somehow it's just turned into him by himself. And... He's like, no, no. And then it shows him waking up in bed. It's just a bad dream. And his wife gets up and like does something with her face and comes out and he doesn't recognize her. And that's the big stinger that he doesn't recognize her now. And that's a stinger. That's the person's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. All right. Uh, It's like when he woke up at the end. And the wife is facing away from him. Like it's one of those things where like, okay, they're avoiding the wife's face mm-hmm. too much. Something something crazy is gonna happen. Is it gonna be, you know, what is that the classic one called with the weird faces? Eye of the beholder? Yeah, it's gonna be like an eye of the beholder situation right. where she turns around and is like, Oh, welcome to my freaky world. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's a totally normal woman. Yeah, another beautiful lady that recognizes him. Yeah. And she he just doesn't recognize her, but it's right. still his wife. That was one of the laziest twists I've seen so far because it's like, what does it, what does it mean? So here's a question. Yeah, uh, this would require more research, which I clearly haven't done. <laughs> At the time when this was filmed, was yeah. the it was only a dream ending, like still relatively novel. It was when I was like like a seventh grade English comp class. Yeah, we had to write short stories, and the yeah. teacher was like, no one is allowed to have the end of their story be, and it was all a dream. Like, at that point, it was such a cliche. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, at this time, was it like, oh, my gosh, it was it was all a dream? Was it? Was that... I would imagine it was still a little lazy. Yeah. Because think about it, like, the Twilight Zone has had so many opportunities to do that, but mm-hmm. they always add that extra little wrinkle. Like, right. you think of, like, the, the sun getting closer to the Earth situation, mm-hmm. like, that one is like, oh, no, it actually is getting closer. Right. Or further away, I should say. Yeah, this is basically the same 
episode in a lot of ways when you think about it. Yeah, it was like, oh, it was all a dream, but was it? Right. Credits. Yeah. Or as, yeah, Roger Lang describes it as like a nightmare turning inside out with Mm -hmm. a weird element there. But also, I can't believe you forgot that your favorite detail was included in this episode when he's speaking to the psychiatrist. And then he happens to see a window there. Oh, he just God, he jumps out of the window! In the most lazy way, just like, yeah. wow. Gosh, how could I have forgotten that? That was an incredible deal. I laughed, of course, when I saw that. <laughs> Twilight Zone's constant obsession with jumping out of windows. This was completely unnecessary. There's probably a door five feet away. Or you could have pushed the guy out of the way. And yeah, or something. I really like Anything. That. I like that psychologist character a lot, too, because like he's just a dick. The yeah. entire time, he's like, Go ahead, try and find some proof. I'm going to prove you wrong. It's like there's no counseling, no discussions. No. It's just like his goal was to find evidence that this guy was crazy. Right. And the other guy's goal was to find evidence that he wasn't. Well, it's interesting, too, is the psychiatrist leads him into his office by saying something to the effect of, I want you to come with me and yeah. I'll, I'm going to show you something. Right. Mm-hmm. And they go into the guy's office and uh, the patient Immediately, he's just like, ah, your phone. Let me start calling numbers. It's like, I want to know what the psychiatrist had. What was his play? Because <laughs> we never got to that part. It was just like, ah, oh, phone. Let me. Yeah, I yeah. got it from here. Right, Dial right, these right. numbers. Call my ma. Yeah. And it's another one of those situations where we've seen it a couple times, like in Hitchhiker, when this guy was opened, when the slow realization after calling the parents on the phone. Mm-hmm. It's like, I feel like that's become a cliche at Twilight Zone at this point. Like, oh, ma, you don't recognize me? Yep. Or something's wrong with, with my parents? Yeah, exactly. This guy took forever to figure out what was going on or just like he is the worst example of not coming face to face with the twilight zones terms. Mm -hmm. It's like, it takes him like three fourths of the way through the episode before finally he's like, okay, clearly something is going on here. Yeah. He just will not give up. Yeah. And is constantly confused. Yeah. This is like a riff on that one episode too, where the guy was in a movie his entire yes, life was a world movie. of difference. World yeah. of difference. Yeah, yeah, it felt a lot like that. Yep. Except I still love that episode. I think that episode is much, much better than this one. Yeah. Which is just kind of a zero for me. Or the episode where the guy is in a play. Is, is, <laughs> oh, Trouble with Templeton. Trouble with Templeton. Oh, what a classic. <laughs> uh, so, persons or persons unknown, uh, would you end up giving this one? See, this sound like I sound like I'm really down on it. Yeah, yeah. But I enjoyed it wow. up until the point where it ended, in which case I was like, oh, God, it's really sucks. Okay, so you I give it a 7. A 7. Yeah. I gave it a 5. Really? It maybe would have been a 4, but I really liked the picture when his wife disappeared from it and it was just him looking like an idiot on the oh. picture by himself <laughs> just in the worst pose. Yeah, it was yeah, his like arm was around the lady and like yeah. there with a zoo or something and then it was yeah, it was <laughs> just like him embracing cold nothingness. <laughs> like I need this for posterity. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, next one is called The Little People. I'm starting to sense that I'm getting some good ones here, and you have to describe the boring ones, Quirk, because Little People is awesome and weird. So it's two astronauts that crash land their stupid rocket on an asteroid or a planet, someplace with two suns, but they never really explain what it is or where it is. Uh, and one of the guys, the captain, is constantly trying to repair the ship. The other guy is a dick. And just explains that he wants to be in charge. He wants things his way. Uh, and then the captain figures out that the other guy isn't drinking his water. And so he's like, well, where are you getting these supplies from? What's going on? And then it's revealed that the other guy, while wandering around this weird alien planet, found a microscopic town filled with people that drive normal trucks. It's like just like an Earth town except shrunk down. 
uh, and he has positioned like positioned himself as their god, and he makes them build giant statues that look just like him that are the exact same size as him, <laughs> and he stomps around on them quite a bit. Uh, and then the captain fixes the ship and says, let's get going, you're crazy. And the guy's like, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm their god, I'm their god. And so the captain leaves, and just as he leaves... Uh, another UFO lands, and this UFO has even bigger giants, and then they pick up the human and squish him. The end. (laughs) This episode is awesome. (laughs) It's really fun. It started off strong because it had one of my favorite things is people being thirsty and hungrily (laughs) drinking water. Yeah, there's a lot of this episode that reminds me of uh, when I shot an arrow into the air sky whatever it is i think that's exactly what it was called <laughs> but yeah. i love it when he found that little and then he's like check it out and he has like a little look like a little grain of rice or something yeah. and he looked at it through his like space viewer yeah and it's this tiny little truck it just looks like a weird 2d like truck put in the hand like all the special effects in this episode other than the giants at the end all mm-hmm. the special effects really sucked this is an episode that like if it were filmed now would be absolutely incredible to look at. But this one is kind of charming in how bad it looks. I don't even know if it's charming. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, the whole colony's in this one tiny area, mm-hmm. and he's, like, rolling around on the ground and not squishing them. And then when he does want to squish them, it's very imprecise. And, like, you can't see it most of the time. It just looks like dirt. Well, then there's the sense of scale is off a little bit, too. Like, he's got his boot hovering over it, and it yeah. looks like these... Houses are like the sizes of postage stamps. Yeah, they took like aerial photography and then he put like his hand over it in the beginning, yeah. I think. And then, yeah, his boot at the end when he's stomping on the town. You hear like every time he stops, you hear all the little <laughs> people go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> screaming like yeah. sirens start blaring and yeah. stuff. It is fantastic. It's pretty good. It's also very similar to the Simpsons episode, the Trios of Horror, where there's a little tooth colony where there's mm-hmm. a spark on the tooth and then little people come out and attack Bart. I think you're noticing a pattern here. <laughs> I'm excited for a year. <laughs> My God, it all makes sense now. <laughs> now, I missed what I thought the what twist was going to be. I Did st- you also think that the little guys were like making themselves huge? No. Oh. I thought, because like when they they first started talking about how hot it was, right? Yeah. Maybe this is just one theory that I got wrong twice. Right. Because they make a big point out of, you're the one who thought it'd be great to land in this steep sloped ravine. I was like, oh, yeah. they have landed in a footprint. That's what's happened. Oh, interesting. So I thought, ah, that's what's going on. And and then I thought, there's not two sons. I bet there's like a giant kid or a jerk who's got like a magnifying glass. Oh. And he's frying them like ants. To be fair, we don't know if that's not the case. I mean, maybe there were the giants at the end, mm-hmm. but then giant, their versions of giants. Giant kids. Yeah. They're like just dicking around while they're trying to fix the spaceship. Yeah. It's giants all the way up, yeah. man. And I like the life-size statue that a thousand of them were able to make overnight. They really liked this guy. Quite industrious. It lo- that was a nice statue, too. It yeah, they did exactly a really good like job. Him. And then he just he knocked the head off of it. And well, it was, his... a, yeah, because he was trying to shoot the other guys. Like, there's yeah. only room for one god. With his drill. Yeah, he was <laughs> it's to... basically a drill. Yeah, yeah, that he's trying to position as a god. And he's like, it's funny when he was like, Arguing that the other guy should leave and saying like, oh, this is a monotheistic society. I am the one God. And he's like, oh, I think they found the devil. That's what I think. Yeah. And then clearly this guy has lost his mind and wants to be these people's God. 
But the captain still fought really hard for him to get back on that spaceship. Mm-hmm. Like he was not okay with leaving him behind when clearly he was a danger to absolutely everybody. There are probably questions that are asked when you get back to your home planet <laughs> when you're flying solo. I wonder what that that guy was doing. I thought maybe he was like a like a Richard Branson kind of like I paid to be on this UFO kind of thing. He didn't seem like a great soldier, certainly. No, he didn't it, seem like he brought any real talent to the mission <laughs> aside from his uh, industrious nature to like find lichen and get all, all up in it to recognize, <laughs> realize that there's actually trees. All up in lichen. <laughs> in the beginning too, like they're, the captain knew this guy was a, a dirtbag and he's trying to talk to him like, you know, what do you really want in life? Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your ultimate goal? Stuff like that. And the, the douchebag... The way he described it is that he wants a whole lot of people under his elbow. Yeah. Or at his elbow. I, I'd never heard that expression before. I, I, I got what they meant, but yeah. it was still a weird way of describing that. I I liked when he lost his mind at the end after the ship took off, but before the other ship came down. And like I'm sure this guy just thought he was giving the performance of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. This is everything where like he's cracking up and he's laughing really hard and he's like oh i am your god i am your god and rolling around on the ground Ooh, he did the thing where he like puts his hands on his cheeks like macaulay culkin and home alone and like yeah. pulled down and his yeah. eye, eye holes were all stretched out Ugh, I, really power. Wa- I really wanted to see after that take was done they're like all right cut and everyone was just kind of like that's okay it's okay let's go with it this yeah. is a twilight zone it's not you know, freaking Royal Shakespeare Theater, buddy. <laughs> and it was like one of the saddest things, too, is when the guy just like, hey, what's that piece of crap? And like picks him up. And then he's got like this dead guy in his palm and like drops him on the ground and like all these boulders cover him. Like, yeah, where were those boulders coming from? Were those just like other pieces of the dirt that the guy picked up? I was confused about that. Yeah, probably. We always have like huge clumps of dirt and sand in our hands all the time, right? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. <gasps> The shot of the giants coming up over the cliffs, mm-hmm. that was, because they couldn't figure out how to make that work, and that's actually a still from a shot and arrow into the sky. Oh, is right it really? The air. Yeah, yeah. Because they, there's that shot where like, oh, that shot of like, oh, let's just look over beyond there for a while, ah. and they cut to that, and so they just took a still from that episode, and that's how they got those guys. Saving money. Yeah. Well done, Twilight Zone. <laughs> I ended up giving this one a seven. I gave it an eight. Wow. I like this one a lot. Okay. It was super fun. Is this your favorite of the bunch? I don't want to say. All right. All right. Well, I'll let you take four o'clock away here. All right. Four o'clock. So we meet a guy named Oliver Krangle. He's a weirdo, lives alone. He's frantically calling people on the phone saying, hey, did you know that you're employing a communist? Hey, he calls another person. If you don't fire this person soon, I'm going to check and make sure you did. <laughs> and then calls someone else and says, hey, I heard you... This guy's a pervert. You should do something about that. Just makes everyone's lives miserable, and he's trying to get rid of all the evil people. Yeah. His landlady comes to deliver mail, and she tries to figure out what he does, and then she he chews her out. He shows a file that he's compiled of her, saying that she and her husband are ignorant and simple-minded and no political affiliations, but you know the real file's over here, and she's upset. And lady comes over, and she's married to a doctor that he's been giving a hard time to because... Apparently a patient died before he could get to her. And that means he is solely responsible for her death and he's incompetent and he's evil. And the lady's sad and she finally leaves in a huff. And the guy's like, I've got a plan at four o'clock. Here's my plan. All the evil people in the world are going to shrink to half their size. No, wait, 
two feet tall. And then you'll be able to tell who they are and root them out. So then he calls the FBI and they visit and he tells them their plan. And he's kind of like, uh, okay, whatever. And he's like, oh, this way you'll be, you guys are going to be really busy at four o'clock because you're going to see all these little people and you'll be able to root them out. And the guy's kind of like, uh, well, he, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. And he's like, ah, I see you're one of them. You're one of the evil people. And the guy leaves and then he's looking out his window and he's like, I see all of you people like ants. Soon you're all going to be two feet tall. And then the clock strikes four o'clock and then like one of those terrible stingers, like, like probably the biggest one I remember from the twilight zone. He's shrunk down to two, two feet tall. And that's the end of the episode. He's holding a pencil. That's quite big. <laughs> as he shrank. I was really hoping that his pet parrot, that they kept on cutting to throughout mm-hmm. the episode, including Serling's intro. Yes. It's capped off by the parrot. I was hoping the parrot would just eat him alive. Yeah. That would be the end. Just carry him off into the sun. That would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> would have been something. Yeah. There, it's not... The way you pitch this episode, it's like, well, clearly they set up that he's like a magician or mm-hmm. some supernatural element, but no, he's just a crazy paranoid guy yeah. that makes that proclamation. Like, oh, mm-hmm. by force of will, everybody will be two feet tall. Yeah, at least like one last pallbearer. You had this megalomaniac who was just, he grabbed all these people that he hated and he had yeah. like, he had like a TV that showed a nuclear bomb in the bomb shelter, right? right. To, and that was his plan. He had a way to kind of bring it, this illusion to life. This guy, he just like willed it, like you said, just force of will. He was going to make everyone two feet tall. And it would have been a more interesting episode if they would have hinted that he has some some powers. Just like he doesn't have to do some magic trick in the beginning, but just like some ounce of mystery. So you, the entire time you're just sitting there going like, this is just the story of a crazy guy. Yeah, like with he had little, like Soromon's ball or something. Yeah, just something, <laughs> something. And it's like, oh, he's a crazy guy and he only willed himself. Yeah. Maybe he's the only evil person. And who can say? Maybe it's just that he's evil, but he also did a good thing and that every other evil person was also shrunk down. I mean, you don't, you don't know. We don't know because he couldn't look out the window to see. Yeah, that was his, like, when he was explaining why he wanted to shrink evil people down, he's like, they won't be able to use typewriters or mm-hmm. use the telephone. They'll go extinct. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think they can do that. Well, his other great plans included um, <laughs> making propellers on airplanes limp so that they couldn't fly around. Uh, and Paging Dr. Freud. Yeah. <laughs> and then making wheels shaped like squares. No, triangles. <laughs> so they'll dig into the asphalt. Because evil people use public transportation to get around? No one else does. What, what is he talking about? <laughs> this was the weirdest episode. It really doesn't make any sense at all. Not even like with the Twilight Zone logic. As it started, I was like, this definitely seems like a Rod Serling episode. It's like, oh, this guy's judging people, but he shouldn't be. Stereotyping is bad, everybody. Yeah, it was written in an era when like, oh, you know, McCarthyism... It obviously had its effect on writers. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, we're going to stick it to them. Those <laughs> those kind of people that think that way, we're going to show them how dangerous that is. And if their goal was to make the entire thing seem completely stupid by and make themselves look just as stupid yeah. by saying, hey, this is a thing I wrote. My name is attached to it. Congrats. They've, they've made the dumbest thing. Yeah, McCarthy won't think they're deviants anymore, just that they're idiots and that they don't exactly. know how to write after all. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they just really wanted to reuse the glasses from uh, Time Enough at Last. <laughs> yes, because that guy had the really big, thick glasses. Yeah, yeah, as he's running down his dumb checklist. Yeah. This episode, I was really hoping was going to go somewhere. At a certain point in my notes, I wrote, 
I know there's going to be a twist, but I can't imagine one that's going to make this episode interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, oh, nope. The twist is that, yeah, he shrinks down. Yes. He forced his own will on himself. Yeah. Now, I remember like episode or two back, you gave me a hard time because like you didn't think of sh- like one of the... I can't remember which episode it was. One of the plots, he said it didn't follow like its own. It didn't have any internal logic. Oh, piano in the house. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you didn't like that because of this. No. This must have just killed you. Because there wasn't even like a magic piano that he could play a few chords and make everyone small. Somehow, it's just the loose logic of the magic piano. This magic piano bothered me more because there were more fantastical elements, mm-hmm. but I just couldn't track what they were doing. It's just okay. like a wizard battle where it's just crap yeah. flying all over the place. You know, uh-huh. it's like, where's this? It's like, there was no ounce of magic, no mystery, and then one weird twist. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only logic they're trying to figure out is just how crazy is this guy? And it turns out, so crazy, he's all-powerful. Right. The only thing that could have salvaged this episode in my yeah. mind is if... They show the his stupid parrot, like, cocks his head that way the birds do, and then it fades to black, and then it says... One year later, and then you just see Oliver Krangle, like, what is he up to now? If he had, like, a minute or two just showing, like, how he's going about his daily life. Struggling desperately to dial a phone. Yeah, with that giant pencil <laughs> that the prop department whipped together. He's still censoring a miniaturized version of the Gettysburg Address. Yeah. There's something he's really <laughs> passionate about in this episode for some reason. It's like, all men are created equal? No nope. way. I just imagine some grown man in the props department... With the lathe making that pencil, just being like, ugh, seriously, what are they doing with this stupid show? <laughs> I mean, some have been pretty good. Maybe this is going to be one of the good ones. And he god. sits down to watch it with his family when it airs. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> well, at least they broke those glasses again. <laughs> but they really twisted the frames. Yeah, yeah. Um, I ended up giving this one a four. Ah, I gave it a two. Okay. All yeah. right. I think that is completely fair. I liked it two less than you did. Yep. There we go. All right. Uh, next one is called Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. And this was one you can usually get a pretty good read on the episode from the title name. Absolutely no idea what this meant. Oh, like one last Paul Burr. <laughs> 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 Clearly. Or Dust. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, The Fugitive. Exactly. <laughs> he basically just spells it all out. <laughs> Save something to the imagination, Rod Serling. All right, so Hocus Pocus and Frisbee is clearly about a small town and this one older gentleman, a larger gentleman, who uh, one guy who likes to tell tall tales. And he's sitting around like a shop. I don't even know what the heck it's on. It's his general store. It's a general store in this small town talking about all the crazy stuff that he's done in his life, how like he was a key component of World War II and how he used to be in weather balloons and he was a professional meteorologist and that he also it was like a math genius or something so just lying completely and uh, at a certain point two guys in a weird car pull up and they don't know how to use money like he's like oh that'll be 187 please because they're getting gas because they're, get, they're getting gas uh, and they just hand him a $10 bill they're like will this work we don't know what's happening and, uh, and he's like oh those guys seem weird and then later on, as everybody else from the store goes home, uh, he walks, he gets pulled out of the general store through the sky and then dropped off on a set that looks like it's from the grave, just out in the wilderness there. Uh, and it then, is. Okay. <laughs> and then he sees a UFO uh, and he comments to himself that 
it looks like the UFO that he designed for the government back in 1951. Uh, and then he goes inside the UFO and there's a race of aliens that have never lied and they're not familiar with the concept of lying. And so they see him because he lies so much and tells all these tall tales. They see him as the most brilliant human on earth. So they want to bring him back to their planet and put him in a cage. Uh, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, oh boy, we'll see about that. And he tries to punch one in the face. And then <laughs> the human mask that the alien's wearing falls off. And uh, they turn out to be really stupid looking aliens. And then he plays his harmonica while imprisoned on their ship. And the harmonica hurts them. And they all <laughs> stumble around because of the harmonica. And then he escapes and goes back to the general store and tries to explain what happened. And everyone laughs and says, oh, classic. Uh, what is this guy? Frisbee. Old classic Frisbee stuff. His name's Hocus Pocus, actually. <laughs> In the town of Frisbee. Uh, and then that's it. Everybody has a good laugh after this guy just beat up aliens and attacked him with a harmonica. This episode is the best. Wow. <clears throat> it, is. it is amazing. I did love you, this episode. Did you like it up until the point when he punched the alien in the face? I loved it even more okay. when that happened. Because these aliens, to get like they looked like very sophisticated gentlemen. Like, they all had turtlenecks? Turtlenecks, <laughs> but apparently that wasn't a turtleneck. If you haven't seen these aliens, they look like a turtleneck that keeps going <laughs> with like these dark eyes. They're yeah. all wrinkly and... But then also look like a Star Wars helmet, kind of, except scrunched down into a face. And then when the, when they when he plays the harmonica, the way they're affected by that is like they put like one hand in the air. Yeah, it was like jazz like, dance kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> Like jump back. Yeah. He was so confident before he played harmonica, though. It's like he knew what was going to happen. You it was know? A, it was a, there was no like moment of shock of like, whoa, this is hurting them. It's like he just wanted to play harmonica and then he just immediately got into the idea of using it as a weapon. Yeah. Because he's great. He's Frisbee. <laughs> Classic Frisbee. Old Did you know that one frisbee. time he was in a room with 18 computers? <laughs> they had them all lined up and they, no scratch paper. Yeah. Just doing calculations and he beat them all. Yeah. He holds degrees in more than 30 certificates or, uh, Schools of higher education. Yeah. He got a rogue scholar, but <laughs> he says, but didn't take it because he refused to bow down to the queen. <laughs> and Ike told him before the Normandy was stormed that it's scary, but you can do it. Is that when he was told that he had to infilate him? Yeah. <laughs> Repeatedly? Yep. Infilate the enemy lines? Yep. Yeah. I like that. They had their e boats. <laughs> I like when he is a cool moment when he goes out there and he's telling the, the aliens when he doesn't know that they're aliens and he's going to fill up their gas tank mm -hmm. that uh, Henry Ford petitioned him to design the rear engine car. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, of course I know this car. It's a rear engine car. But then he doesn't know where the gas tank is. They tell him and then yeah. he's like, well, yeah, I know. I designed it. Yeah. Yeah. After he stumbles for a little bit. Yep. This guy liked to lie. He was it, great at it. So this ship... Yeah. <laughs> is it the same one from To Serve Man? That's got the, the same little, exterior? Yeah. It's got the little door that comes down at the staircase. Probably. I don't know. We I saw it from the other side in To Serve Man. It didn't have a scale attached to it because they were just more interested in the total <laughs> package. They weren't going to eat Frisbee. Yeah. I don't know if they ever showed like the, the full shot of it. But it's you always see that just kind of the, the sloping 
underbelly. Yeah. And I wonder if it's the same one as Night- or, uh, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, too. Because there's that UFO behind them. Yeah. And it's kind of that same, just like mm-hmm. uh, just a stock UFO. Right. Probably. They probably still have that sitting in a warehouse somewhere. This is interesting. We've reached a point, too, where I'm really like the Nightmare as a Child apartment. Yeah. And then I'm also that the episode from like, or uh, the set from Dust. Yeah. And, you know, you could recognize that in a second. You're like, right. oh, okay, there's that painted on backdrop of sagebrush and yeah, yeah. their tumbleweed that never tumbles, <laughs> that kind of thing. It was interesting that the harmonica took these guys out mm-hmm. when one of the key points that they were talking about for how great their collection of aliens were, yeah, where they're like, hey, we have a Venusian, mm-hmm. which is really something because he can sing in eight different pitches at once, right? accompanied by his tail. Yes. Oh. And then a harmonica, which is just, I don't know. Is it a couple different notes at once? Is that what a harmonica is? I think a harmonica is like the same if it was like a bagpipe. Yeah. Or a banjo. Either any of those instruments would be just so awful that it would just knock a, an alien senseless. I guess so. But it's just weird sounds. that like they would bring up specifically something that mm-hmm. has like the idea of like different notes or pitches playing at the same time as right. being awesome. Yeah. And then also it's a thing that stuns them. Did it make you think of Mars Attacks? I've never seen bit. Mars Attacks. Really? Nope. We should have a Mars Attacks podcast where we watch it and talk about it. Okay. <laughs> That'll be a recurring series. Just go Just like keep five watching minutes it. at a time. Yeah. And then do a 30-minute podcast on that five minutes. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but I guess I kind of did. So <laughs> never mind. It's funny. There was a moment when they hand him the $10 bill and they don't really understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine is super into Mothman. <laughs> like oh, Mothman dear. Myth. Richard Gere. No, not, movie. not the stupid movie, but I guess the movie's kind of based on that too. But like <laughs> the actual stories of where that movie came from yeah. is like the New England town where this crazy thing was seen flying around. And one of the legends from that myth is that one day uh, these two kind of agent looking guys pulled up in a car from the 40s that was completely new. And then they paid for something with like a $100 bill or something. And it's like... It was clear when people interacted with these guys that they did not understand the concept of money at hmm. all and like had no recognition that their car was old or anything like that, which gives me goosebumps to think about. That's just the freakiest thing of just people pulling up and just, they don't, you know, that they don't know what's going on with this society, but they're trying really hard to fit in. And now seeing this episode, it's like, I wonder if that myth just kind of came from this episode of Twilight Zone, just that little moment with the $10 bill. Probably. Okay. They just added a zero to it and called yeah. it a day. And maybe the flying Mothman came from when Frisbee was being yanked around, yelling, wee, as he's <laughs> flying around. Yeah. This is an episode that, like, I, I thought it was a, a cool idea, like this chronic liar getting some sort of punishment or some repercussions to mm-hmm. him. Uh, but then the second he punched that alien in the face and it shattered, that that's when I really fell in love with it. That was such a great effect too. Like just the the face shattering and like it peels apart and you're just like, what is, (laughs) what is this? It's like an uncircumcised turtleneck. (laughs) Uh, So I ended up giving this one a seven. Really? Yeah. I give it a nine. I really like this episode a lot. It was a pretty good performance from the main guy. That's all you need. And the detail that was really fun though, it's because like at the beginning... He's, he's telling all these lies, and you can tell people are kind of tired of him. Yeah. But when he comes back to the general store, the lights are off, and then it turns on, and it's a surprise party because it's his birthday. Right. And they give him a trophy, and it says, World's Greatest Liar. And it's obvious. It was just a really nice touching moment that everyone knows that he's, like, totally full of shit. Yeah. But they just 
all like deeply love and respect the guy. And I, I really like that. That's very sweet. Yeah, it was a really sweet moment because it wasn't like, ah, oh, there's Frisbee, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they gave him the trophy, but then they were very clear that they all just it just enjoyed the hell out of his company. Well, that, that's and I thought that was really cool. Into focus, hocus pocus, and frisbee. Yeah. Now, if they just spent like one tenth as much effort on four o'clock, <laughs> <laughs> I would have been quite pleased. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. Uh, tune in next week for an extra long, theoretically, version where yeah. we we'll cover the next and last seven episodes, and then we're already on to the next Franklin for season three. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Sounds like we just did that. Yeah. Well, let's do it again, man. Let's yes. get this trainer rolling. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, tune in next week. Bye. Hello. Bye. Mommy.